World's Finest Podcast, Episode 70. always, I am James Doe, and with me is Michael David Sims. Hello. You know what, Mike? We were just talking off the air. Um, what temperature is it in Chicago? 12 degrees. Yeah, it's uh, 12 degrees here, too. <laughs> That's so wild to me. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I honestly I, didn't know it could get that cold in Atlanta. I had no idea. <laughs> quite frankly, neither did I. Yeah. <laughs> and I've lived here, what now? Well, now 27 years since I just got a year older. That's right. Happy birthday, sir. Thank you, thank you. You're closer to 30. You're getting there. <laughs> yeah, that was what my friend Mike uh, here in Atlanta said. He said, you know what, you're only three years away from 30. And I was like, wow, that really depressed me. Yeah, well, in in three years and one month, um, I'll be 35, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my good God. But it was fun. I got... So I went to a Japanese steakhouse, the hibachi grill, where they cook all the shit in front of you. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. I love that. And uh, let's see, what else? Oh, I basically played Modern Warfare for several hours, Modern Warfare 2. That's an awesome game, by the way. And I uh, watched Inglorious Bastards, finally. Oh, what did you think of it? Awesome movie. You didn't mind the, the subtitles? Because that movie's, no. like, what, two-thirds subtitled? God, no. I, I watch anime. I love subtitles. Well, no, I know. I know. that That is true. I just, I just didn't know if you even knew it was subtitled. A lot of people were surprised by it. I didn't know it was going to be subtitled, but I, I'm not really surprised by it. So, it doesn't, you know, subtitles do not bother me. I still think Jackie Brown is my, you know, at the top of my favorite Tarantino films, with this taking uh, second place right now, though. Pulp Fiction is still my favorite, but yeah, this is number two for me now, too. Have you seen Jackie Brown? I actually have not. Okay, a lot of people don't like it, and I can understand that, but personally, I love it. I love it. Well, no, I've heard great things about it. I don't. I honestly don't know if I've ever heard any bad things about it. So there are some people that just think it's too long, that it meanders. But it's like that's kind of a, a Tarantino thing. Well, I mean, yeah. Look, look how long the opening scene of, the, of Bastards takes. It takes yeah. like 20, 25 minutes. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was shoot, okay, I saw Bastards in the theater twice. And when I was buying the DVD the other day, I had a similar experience to an experience I had in the theater. When I was picking the DVD up, uh, someone saw me doing it, and he commented to his girlfriend that he was just complaining that the movie had too much talking. And I heard that same complaint when I saw it in the theater the first time. And I'm thinking to myself, have you never seen a fucking Tarantino movie before? Do you not know that that's Tarantino's fucking signature? Like, characters, they sit around and talk, and oh, they get developed. Oh, gasp! But Irish, no, let's, put, you know, let, let's just have action, action, boom, boom, Michael Bay style, everything is flashy and looks cool movies. No, that's, okay, there's, there's a market for that, and I don't poo-poo that market, but you need the other side of that, the Tarantino action films. Yes, there's action, but he does develop his characters. They're not all cliched and one-dimensional. You know, exactly. and it takes a while for that to happen, so fucking deal with it. 
you know. But like I said, I, you know, with that movie, Bastards, I will allow people their gripe that the title characters aren't in it that much. That's like the one gripe I will allow with it, though it didn't bother me. And Mike Myers, that was a little weird. I liked him in it, but that was a little weird. <laughs> that, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, when his name pops up in the credits, I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what was it? About, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago, uh, shortly before Christmas, I was hanging out with a buddy. He was having a little party, and we threw bastards in. So I started watching it, and during the credits, <laughs> one of the guys looks over at us who had seen it before, and he's like, the Mike Myers? And we were like, Yeah. <laughs> He was like, is he one of the bastards? And we're like, no, just wait for it. You'll see. <laughs> uh, should we get to the emails and whatnot, though? Yeah, let's do that. Um, we have a couple of voicemails to play. Uh, one of them was from our listener, Mike. We're not actually going to play that one because it was basically just a reminder to me and James to talk about the new voice cast that came on board with the Justice League cartoon. Every time there's a feedback thread, we're like, shit, we forgot to talk about the voice cast. So yep. let's do that. Let's let's get into them. And thank you, Mike, even though we're not playing it. Thank you for sending in that reminder. So, God, where should we start? With uh, George Newbern, I guess? Since yeah, we got yeah. A new Superman voice? So far, I'm not, I don't like him as much as Daly, but I have said in the past that I, I like Newbern more than Daly, but... That was a long, long time ago when I was watching Justice League, like, every flippin' day. Mm. So I think once we get in deeper into the series, I will probably be more used to it. And then I'll be like, okay, well, do I like Daily more or do I like Nuber more? So right now I'm going to sit on the fence on that one. I think right now I'm not overly thrilled with uh, Susan Eisenberg, who does Wonder Woman's voice. But mm. I know for a fact she gets a lot better... Uh, down the road, especially into JLU. So, uh, like right now, I don't think her. Maybe she's she wasn't used to it. I don't know. I don't know her background in voice acting, so maybe she wasn't yeah. used to it at this point. Yeah. But um, like I said, I do think I do. I'm like 99 percent sure I really dig her portrayal of Wonder Woman in, in Justice League, especially when she and uh, Jean are on the same uh, in the same scene because they have some really nice scenes together, and when uh, she and Bruce are together. Again, I'll sit on the fence on that one. Because there's been so much time between us covering Superman and now Justice League, I don't really remember the other guy's voice for Superman. So I, I can't comment there. I'd have to listen to an episode uh, or watch an episode of Superman and then watch an episode of Justice League back to back to go, oh, okay, that's the difference, and, and then comment. But I can't. When it comes to Wonder Woman... Yeah, this lady, she plays her a little too flat for me. Like, she's, like, she's, eh, and when she goes for emotion, it's like she's forcing the emotion. Yeah. You know, like, when, whenever she says great Hera, I never actually believe that she's asking, you know, a goddess for strength. It just feels like she's delivering a line. The only time, and we're going to get to it in uh, Paradise Lost here, I actually felt the the line had any emotion behind it was when she's heading back home. And she's in the jet, and she's coming up with all those things she could potentially say to her mother. And she finally gives up, and she's just like, oh, Hera, give me strength. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that was a good delivery. Yeah. But normally when she's just like, great, Hera, or Hera, give me strength, it, it doesn't work for me. It just, Like I said, it just feels forced. So uh, what about these other people? The, again, I don't know actors, the actors' names, but again, uh, uh, John Jones, John Stewart, Hawk Girl, uh, Flash. Am I missing anybody? No, that's the team right there. Yeah, 
Uh, well, in Kevin Conroy, but you know, well, he goes without saying. Right, so. that's why I didn't bring him up, right? So, uh, yeah, I'll go into um, Hot Girl here. Maria Canals is awesome. She loved the role of Hot Girl, and this is well documented. She's she, when Starcrossed came and went, and Hot Girl was off the show. She cried because huh. she couldn't, she could not portray the character anymore because wow. she she really really loved the character and gave it a hundred percent with every single episode she was in. And so far I'm loving, I'm loving her portrayal and it only gets better from here as hot girl becomes more and more important in the show. Yeah. Um, with, with hot girl, I think she's a really good actress, the, the lady doing the voice, but, and this, I chalk up to the writing and it has nothing to do with the actress at all. I just get tired of her delivering a line and then hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. And all she does is grunt. You know, it's like, let this lady actually go out there and act. Because when she does, there's these nice little subtleties to her voice. Like when Flash is hitting on her in, um, it was in the last group that we reviewed. I don't remember which one it was, but he's sort of hitting on her. He's like, is there a hawk boy? And yeah. <laughs> she kind of flies away and she's blowing him off. No pun intended. Um, cause she saves that for John. But what she ends up doing is <laughs> there's, I forget the exact line, but the way she delivers the line it's sort of this, like, she's not totally opposed to the idea of the Flash hitting on her. And it's very subtle. It's very subtle. Let's see, who else? Carl Lumbly as Jean. Just uh, brilliant, brilliant. Yes, It's absolutely. so alien, it's perfect. It is, and he, and, but, and no pun intended, he brings a lot of humanity to the character. You, mm-hmm. you, he's a very, very likable character. He he has a heart. He He's, like, he's the definition of a good person. "Quote unquote person, right? So, yeah, and he and Lumley absolutely brings that out in John. Yeah, what, what I like about that portrayal of John is, you know, Superman. Yeah, he lost his world too, but he grew up as a human being. He sees himself as a human that just happens to have Kryptonian DNA. But John, he lost his people centuries ago, stood as sentry on the planet, and then when he tried to save us, he got zapped over here." You know what I mean? He's had no contact with anybody for ages. So whenever he talks about being like the last of his kind, you can really feel it coming out through the actor's voice and, you know, through the character, I should actually say. Because uh, you just don't get that with Superman. Because, again, he wasn't raised raised that way. But John, he's lived this way for centuries. Alone. Oh, it's, so, it's real good. Next, uh, how about Phil Lamar, Green Lantern? Obviously, we've had our problems with the character of Green Lantern, but I have no complaints about Phil Lamar, and I know for a fact that he's just amazing as Jon Stewart later on. So, Yeah, I, I was initially going to say something, but you're right. It's it's the way the character is being portrayed right now that I take issue with. Um, uh, wake up. But we have a voicemail coming up that's going to speak about that, actually. So I'll, so I'll stop that there. But... When it comes to the acting, no, you know, he is supposed to be that, you know, ex, uh, he's a Marine, right? Yeah, an ex-Marine, you know, so he's going to have that stern side to him, but he can also have that softer, compassionate side, and uh, he does a good job balancing the two. That just leaves Michael Rosenbaum, I believe. (laughs) Excellent. What can I say? I mean, he's great. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He's one of my favorite voice actors, seriously, and I don't just mean in the DCAU, just all around. I just love his voices, and the way he's able to portray the Flash, you know, is this fun-loving horn dog, but he still takes his job very seriously. I mean, we see that later on in Justice League Unlimited when he's talking to, um, what's-his-face, the trickster. 
you know, you, you, you hear it in that episode when he sits down with him at the bar and he just softens up even more than he already is. And he's like, oh, you're off your meds, you know. <laughs> he's, and again, I know that's years down the road in terms of his acting experience, but you still get it here. Little things like that here uh, this early on as in his portrayal of The Flash, that is. That's everybody. Yeah, so, I mean, overall, they're, they're doing a great job, a really good job. Yes. So thank you, Mike, for reminding us to finally talk about that on the air. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, next up, we have a voicemail from uh, a listener. And I'm sorry, you say your name in the voicemail, but I can't quite make it out. So I don't want to mispronounce it, but, I'm, so, but we're going to play it, but I can't give you credit. Hopefully our listeners will be able to understand what you're saying there. It's just a slight problem with the file, that's all. But here we go. Oh, hey, Mike and James, Tamir, uh, Colin. And I'm just calling to tell you guys are doing an awesome job with um, the podcast. And I want to thank you guys for appointing me to Justice League Tower of Babel. Awesome. And through that, I'm following the Nightwing series. And my question to you guys is, how do you feel about the new dynamic duo? That being Dick Grayson, former Robin, and uh, Damian Wayne, the new Robin, I guess. So, uh... I'll see you guys later, and peace out. Okay, so in regards to, you know, the Dick Grayson as Batman, Damian Wayne as Robin ongoing storyline over in the DC Comics, I love it. I'm not reading the Batman and Robin comic from month to month. I read the first three issues, which was the first uh, part of the story, um, and now I'm waiting for, I might get the hardcover of that, but I'll, I'll probably wait for the trade. But what I've been reading is really good, and I love having the dynamic duo flipped on its head, having a light-hearted Batman and a dark, brooding Robin. That's brilliant to me. That's awesome. There, there's also the part of me that likes the idea of Dick Grayson being Batman, but there's also the part of me that doesn't like it all the same. But that's what he was being groomed to be from the start, was Bruce Wayne's replacement. And then DC was just like, no, Batman's always supposed to be Bruce Wayne, no one can replace him. And they're still in that mindset. Dick's going to be a temporary Batman because they're, they're already planning the return of uh, the return of Batman, return of Bruce Wayne storyline. So it's going to be a shame to see uh, him not get to play that role. Dick, you know, that is, play the role of Batman for several years. I, I would love it if, if he was Batman for a good long while. But right now, I, I, I dig it. You know, a lot of people don't like Damien because he's a bit of a douchebag, but that's the point of Damien. You know, he's the son of Bruce Wayne and Talia al Ghul. He was raised by uh, the League of Assassins. That's what they're called, right? The League of Assassins? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, for some reason I, I wanted to call them the Hand. And I'm like, no, that's that's Marvel's assassin group. <laughs> um, but uh, like, he was raised by them. You know, this kid, he, he's, if I remember correctly, he can, he has like, he's not like Wolverine-like where he has a healing factor, but if he gets hurt, he, like, there's like replacement organs that have been cloned for him. So he can be a little reckless. Um but in truth, he's not really reckless. He just knows that he's really that good. I mean, this kid's like, what, 10 years old? And he's like one of the best assassins in the world. So, of course, you know, he's he's going to have attitude. You know, of course he's not going to think Dick is good enough to, to be Batman because he himself thinks he should be Batman. You know, he's he's the grandchild of Rachel Ghoul. He's going to be a... <laughs> who almost used a word I didn't like. I, I don't mind using personally, but I don't like using on the show. He likes being... A douchebag. I'll say that again. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, oh, I love the character. I absolutely do. Because 
It's not just the fact that he is a douchebag that I like. What I like about it is that there's going to come a point where he's going to start to grow up. And Grant Morrison, you know, he knows that. And he's we're going to get to see the character grow. We're going to get to see him grow up. We're going to see him turn. I think he's always going to have a slight edge, a slight chip on his shoulder. But it's going to be fun watching him go from a jerk to someone who's still a jerk but more likable. So there, that's that's what I have to say about it. I, I assume you you have no idea what I was just talking about. Exactly. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I do know. I do. I knew that Dick Grayson is now Batman and mm-hmm. Damien is now Robin. That's about it. Okay. okay. <laughs> I have I have not read any of it because, like I've said, I haven't read any comics recently except for like Old Man Logan. That's really the most recent comic book I've or arc that I've read. Mm-hmm. So there. Okay, okay. Okay, so our last voicemail today is from Tom DJ, and he, um, yeah, he sets us straight on Green Lanterns. Hello, Mike. Hello, James. This is Tom DJ, calling to you straight out of Brooklyn from the Better in the Dark Laboratories. Just finished listening to World's Finest Podcast, uh, the most recent episode, episode number 69, and have a few comments for you. But then again, I think you expected this call, considering that Mike once again evokes my name, as if to expect me, just like last time. So, uh, you naughty, naughty, naughty uh, master of the Earth2.net domain, you. Um, first off, i got to ask something. Am I the only human being on the face of this planet who, can, who thinks Alex Ross is a, not a very good artist, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I look at his work, and all I see is the equivalent of uh, some geek cornering me at a party with pictures from his most recent cosplay LARPs. Like, and here's my friend Dave. He's dressed up as Superman, and he's facing my friend Doug as Sinestro. It's just, I just find his work very posed, very artificial, and very static. And I cannot get out of my mind when I look at it that this is basically his friends playing dress-up. But that's not why I called. I think you know why I called, which is, of course, in Blackest Night. Now, don't get me wrong. I am of the opinion that the first season of Justice League is, I think that uh, Bruce Tim puts it best on one of the uh, documentaries on the, uh, the uh, first season box set, that they were really feeling their way around, and they did not have uh, a full confidence yet in this first season. In fact, I don't think it's until the last episode of the first season, um, the uh, the World War II set episode, that I think that they got everything right. But I, what I, we have to keep in mind is that most of these episodes are setting up and establishing characters for people who are unfamiliar with them. And Blackest Night, we're not talking about just establishing John John Stewart, but establishing the idea of Green Lantern as a whole. Because most people never, I mean, if they got their contact with Green Lantern previously from, let's say, Super Friends, or from the Filmation 1960s series, they don't know about the Guardians or Oa or all the other Green Lanterns. They just know, hey, here's a guy who's got a magic ring, and it's green. Um, first of all, that's your, your, your real big criticism of John's characterization in the first half. This is um, consistent with the John Stewart we got as early as 
the his first couple of appearances when he was referred to as Black Lantern, and um, yeah, he was a bit of a dick. I mean, in fact, his first appearance on that cover was that there's a new Green Lantern in town, baby, and he lets it all hang out. He was very seventies black exploitation, very much uh, quote unquote part of the relevance movement in comics in the sixties, and he was a bit of a dick and. I don't fault them for carrying this over. Um, as for the fact that the that was a jurist's uh, legal system was, shall we say, half-assed, I think that was the point. I think the point of the, of the matter was that, the, that a jurist had become so mired in its own legal system that it was just totally screwed up and ass-backwards to begin with, and most of the idiots who were around there were there just for the spectacle of watching people get blo- get you know gassed and stuff. Um, as far as the um, lanterns themselves, uh, and you were talking about Tomari, uh, Birdbeak, fi- uh, Finhead Boy. Uh, gosh, I can't remember the name of the ping pong guy. Uh, they, they aren't off. Um, quite frankly, they are not off model. Um, however, uh, the thing I always found funny when that line about, oh, you're a disgrace to the core, one of them is Aris Chunk, the guy you refer to as uh, Abe Lincoln Beard Boy. The thing I find hilarious is Eric Chumick, um is a cannibal. They don't mention it, of course, but in the comics he is a cannibal. And um, I don't know, I'm willing to bet that, that in the story John went to the Guardians, and the Guardians said, what are you talking about? You didn't destroy that planet. Go back go back to your job. Um, but anyway, I, I'm not defending the whole story. I liked it a lot, but I think that they had a lot to, a lot of stuff to chew, which is they had to present to everybody the entire concept of what the Green Lantern Corps was. And in that case, I think it more or less succeeds. You're right, they probably should have trimmed part of one so you can have more of the big, shouty, wide-action uh, Manhunters versus Green Lantern stuff at the end, but you can't have everything. Um, and quite frankly, I thought it was a little bit better than uh, some of the other stuff that you reviewed this year, but that's just me. I am, of course, the Green Lantern guy of two podcasts, which sounds very, very Earth, very, very Silver Age DC, doesn't it? Um, so go ahead. You can tell me uh, I'm wrong, but I know what I'm talking about. Thank you, Tom. Um, there's nothing I can really say to that. I can't because I mean, I don't know a lot of a lot about uh, Green Lantern lore, so I I just have to assume that uh, Mr. DJ is right there. I really do appreciate when people um, call in or write in and uh, set the record straight for us. I really do. It's not just something I say. So, really, Tom, thank you. I'll copy paste what what Mike just said there. <laughs> Uh, yes, so uh, now we have some emails, so Indeed James. Indeed, we do. So, first one is from Graham, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, it's been a while since I've emailed you, mostly because of the fact that I'm on the forums more and more, leaving feedback there, but recently I have been watching a lot of Smallville and Superman the Animated Series, and I've also been listening to old WFP episodes. I have liked many of your ideas of where you think Metropolis is. From what, uh, from thinking about it for a while, I have come to a conclusion that Metropolis that Metropolis could be Kansas City? I've thought this uh, to be because in Smallville, everyone always talks about Metropolis as the closest city to them. And if Smallville is in Kansas, the Metropolis can't be as far northeast as New York City. I don't know. That, that doesn't yeah. jive with Because there's an ocean. 
that borders yeah. Metropolis. So. Not in Smallville, though. Not in the TV show Smallville. Oh, oh, I, okay. Yeah, they they are they're you really. It's you got you got Metropolis and Smallville's like a little farm town, not that far outside of it. So yeah. And if Gotham City is in New Jersey, then why in ba- the Batman Superman movie does Bruce Wayne have to take a plane to Metropolis, unless Metropolis is actually somewhere farther away besides Kansas City? It could maybe be some city in California. If that, if so, that would support why in the DCAU Metropolis is next to the ocean. So if Metropolis was Kansas City, the only water nearby would be the Mississippi River, which I doubt is the water shown next to Metropolis in Superman the Animated Series. Well, those are thoughts about a topic you guys discussed way before your long but finally over future era of WFP episodes. Now that you're on Justice League, I wanted to bring up an upcoming DC Universe animated direct-to-DVD of the same name, Crisis on Two Earths. Um, that is what it's called, right? Crisis yeah, Crisis on Two Earths, yeah. Yep, so what are your thoughts on that, and what are your thoughts about the other movie in production called Batman Under the Hood? You know, as for Under the Hood... Obviously, nothing has really been released about it yet, so can't really comment there, except to say that I assume it's based on um, the uh, the two trade paperbacks written by Judd Winnick that uh, brought Jason Todd back from the dead. But that's, I, I don't know, I haven't seen a plot synopsis of it yet, so that that's just speculation on my part. If it is based on that, great, great. I love, I love those two... Uh, those two trade paperbacks that make up that storyline. It's great writing, and the the way Judd uh, characterizes uh, the villain of it, the Black Mask, is awesome. He's such he's such a fucking psychopath. He's so endearing. Oh, it sounds weird to say, but trust me on that one. Um, <laughs> as for Crisis on Two Earths, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. Um, I think the voice cast is solid. And again, that that's all I can really say about it. You know, because I haven't seen too many. Uh, trailers, or I'm sure there's footage out there that Warner Brothers has released, but I just haven't seen a ton of it. But, you know, just knowing the voice cast, it does have me excited. What about you, James? Um, I'll watch it. <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't know anything about the source from either of those, because I, I have Under the Hood, but I haven't read it yet. Oh, okay. It's just another one of these trade paperbacks I have that I, in my large library, that I just have not read yet, because I don't have time. Yeah. And I have, I have not, I have, I know nothing about Crisis on Infinite Earths, Two Earths, whatever. <laughs> I don't know anything about it. Next one is from Nicholas, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, I've been listening to the show since I last emailed you guys. Although Zeta Project and Static Shock aren't favorites of mine in the DCAU, it was pleasant to listen to them. The episode that stood out for me when it aired back in 2000 to 2004 was the episode where Richie's dad turned out to be a racist. Now that you're on Justice League, in Joker's words from Make Him Laugh, I'm back. <laughs> Yep, about episode 68. James, I was on your side most of the time. Mike had another case of short-term memory, and I didn't understand his attitude when critiquing. I was especially put off by him complaining about Hippolyta's hair. It's like, why did you make that big of a deal out of it? I don't think I made a big deal out of it. I was just like, I don't know why she's blonde. I think that's all I said. But maybe I did. I mean, okay, guys, let me explain something to you. My memory, it really is bad. Like, I'm seriously trying to think what James and I we're talking about 25 minutes ago when this show started. I can't remember how we introed this show. I literally can't. That's not a joke. That That's my memory. Anyway, I'm of the opinion the producers needed to differentiate between Diana and Hippolyta. I, too, am not a fan of this version of Wonder Woman's mother. Virginia Madsen's portrayal in the animated movie, however, is superb, yeah. to which I've already reviewed. Ha, beat you to the punch. <laughs> Always get a kick out of the moment where the princess of the Amazons deflects the laser blasts. Wonderfully animated. I wasn't too big on Jon Stewart in the beginning of the series, especially in the Enemy Below, where he overreacts on Aquaman about the plutonium. 
I'm glad Arthur smacks him upside the head per, for presuming too much, and Mira's bur- uh, burned for calling her husband's act of madness for cutting off his hand to save himself and their son's life from falling to their deaths. Stuart is annoyingly insensitive. Hot Girl gets the worst uh, cause of it in uh, the second season's episode, The Terror Beyond, where she's calling the shots and being upright rude. But to be fair, though, when Phil Omar and Maria Canales' characters uh, developed through the course of the series, they didn't bother me anymore. Michael Rosenbaum rules. Carl Lumbly is good, but Phil Morris, who voices Vandal Savage, does a decent job in his small appearances as John Jones on Smallville. Had to bring that up. Look forward. I'm looking forward to the JSA TV movie because, aside from Lois and Clark's relationship developing further, I'm not big on this subpar season. Chloe is even more horrible than the uh, drama queen. About your plot hole of Carter's return from Mars, I had some theories, but they all went to hell. But something that always <laughs> bugged me was that they play him up like he's the president of the United States. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah, we didn't even mention that, but that is true, because he's just a senator, right? Yeah. Yeah. Next one is from, and I, I apologize if I mispronounce your name, from uh, Ton, who writes, I'm a sucker for the traditional team of heroes versus a team of villain stories, so when Injustice for All was announced, I was on pins and needles. Here's what I liked. One, Lex Luthor is the leader. Let's face it, if a group of supervillains are going against the JLA, Luthor has to be the leader. End of story. Two, Luthor dropping the suit and going back to his pre-crisis evil scientist roots. I like the Luthor who battled Superman head-on with his brains instead of the corrupted businessman who hid behind people. Three, Joker's appearance in the laugh at the end of part one. This is my favorite of all of Hamill's laughs as the Joker. Four, seeing the League work uh, work together to take down Superman's arch enemy. During Superman the Animated Series, he was never able to, con- to connect Luthor to his crimes. It was good to show that even the Man of Steel needs help, and that is where the Justice League comes in. Five, Flash's line about being the fastest man alive. Just plain funny. I think it was uh, Hot Girl's uh, yeah. retort that was funny, but... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, six, Luthor battling Superman in the retro 80s armor. Now, what I didn't like, the battle between the Injustice uh, gang and the JLA was too one-sided. There should have been an, uh, the episode where they act, uh, became an actual team, not just in name alone, but in how they fight. Part one should have had the Injustice gang triumph because of the JLA's lack of teamwork. Then in part two, the League regroups and beats the villains with their newfound teamwork. Number two, Wonder Woman not saying anything when she traps Cheetah in her lasso. I mean, Cheetah is Wonder Woman's arch enemy, and Going by DCAU timeline, this was probably their first meeting, so there should have been a longer fight between the two. Number three, lack of big-time villains. Where was Sinestro, Captain Cold, Zoom, Bane, anybody? Four, Luthor wanting the villains to destroy Superman in the League. Luthor would never want anyone but himself to destroy the Man of Steel. The rest of the League is fair game, but Superman's destruction would be his and his alone. Those are all my points. I was trying to keep this short, but if you need me to elaborate on any of them, let me know. I, I'm enjoying the show, and please keep it up. Well, we'll keep it up for about another year. <laughs> yes, thirty more episodes. So yeah, yeah. Um, uh, in regards to something that was said there, the, you know, we we mentioned that during the podcast when when Luthor is all like, "You're the best there is at what you do," and it's like, really, these guys, you know, because because what he said is is right. You know, where, where is Bane? You know, where are their dark counterparts? We've got Luthor to Superman, but why isn't Sinestro there for Green Lantern? Why isn't Bane there for Batman? Why isn't, uh, again, Luthor is there for Superman, but why not bring in Metallo? You know, uh, Cheetah's there, okay, you know, it's their first meeting, but they're, they're counterparts, all the same. And then, uh, who, who's left? Flash, yeah, bring in Captain Cold, or Boomer, or something. And, and then for, um, who am I missing there? Um, Hawkgirl, I, I don't know who you bring Hawkgirl in Hawkgirl or Martian Manhunter. Yeah, you could bring in anybody else for them, but bring in heavy hitters, not who they brought in. Ugh. All right. 
Next one's from Kenny, who writes, First, I must join the chorus in saying, Thank God we're at Justice League. It's been a long road, but this is a sweet, sweet payoff, even if listening to WFP can be maddening, uh, a maddening <laughs> experience due to the fact that I often disagree with you two, yet cannot join the conversation. Still, I listen, because disagreeing or not, you two raise points that I often didn't ever consider. On to the purpose of this email. The portrayal of Batman in the DCU is often heralded as the definitive version of the character, and while I subscribe to this uh, belief, Batman has also had other great portrayals in movies and comics. There are other characters in the DCAU that one could argue definitiveness, as the DCAU is no stranger to getting the characters right. However, for my money, one of the best portrayals of any character in the DCAU, and the most definitive of the definitives, is Shira Hall. Her arc is the best in the DCAU, bar none. Her voice actress is pitch perfect, easily being in the top tier of voice actors, along with Conroy, Delaney, and Clancy Brown. Also... While her character starts off a bit one note, she really explodes to be one of the most interesting and complex the DCAU has ever served up. The DCAU gives us a wonderful hot girl, one that is better than any other incarnation of the character by a hundred miles. It's to the point where I can't stand a comic version of hot girl because she isn't the, the Shay I've come to know. So yeah, I think Shay is the bee's knees. <laughs> I, I know there is room to argue on other characters, so which character would you two say has their best portrayal in the DCAU over any other version by a wide margin? So Flash is great in uh, Justice League, but he's equally great, if not better, in the Je- in Jeff Johns' run. Yet you might say John Jones is better in the DCAU than he's ever been in the comics. So I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. I love the show. P.S. Teen, T- Teen Titans isn't in my continuity, but it's all good. Glad to have more shows. <laughs> um, yeah, I just want to echo what was said there about about Hawkgirl. I mean, we said it earlier when the show started, you know, when yep. we were talking about the voice actors. Um but that said, I really don't know Hawkgirl in the actual comic book continuity. So this is my Hawkgirl. Um, I've read Hawkgirl stories, I have, but I, I just don't know the character well enough to, to to compare her to you know her in continuity, in comic book continuity uh, counterpart. So yeah, this is it for me. What about you, James? What, what are like th- like this is the definitive version for you? Up until the Dark Knight, I would have said the Joker. Mark Hamill is so near and dear to my heart because he portrayed the Joker so well that uh, I have to give him a nod there. Another one I'll give is Rachel Ghoul. Yeah, uh, definitely. David Warner, oh my god. Just excellent, excellent work. And I, I, I have to say the same kind of thing as I just said with the Joker. I mean, Liam Neeson was perfect in uh, Batman Begins as as Rachel Ghoul. Just, he was awesome. And we'll... Hopefully, whenever we get around to that Dark Knight discussion, yeah. I'll have more to say on that. I'm trying to think of who else I, off the top of my head. I'll throw Static out there, I mean, just because I, I haven't read any of the old Milestone comics. I I love the character of Virgil Hawkins, mm-hmm. and just, I was, I said, I was a little sad to see Static go by the wayside. Um, and I hope, I really, really hope that he gets more... Uh, for lack of a better word, playing time in the comic books. For me, I'll, I'll go with Lex Luthor. I love the portrayal of Lex Luthor in the DCAU. I like how he develops, you know, how, you know, he ends up bonding uh, unwillingly with Brainiac and, you know, loses his mind from there and just everything that, that was done with the character, just the arc they took him through all the way to the very last episode. Um, I think the Joker is great. I'll, I'll echo what you said there. Um, let me see. Let me try to think of a hero. Um, I really Batman. I know, I know that's how the email started, you know, but for me, this, this really is like 
That's my Batman. Yeah, when I think of Batman, I first think of BTAS Batman. I mean, when I read Batman comic books, I imagine Kevin Conroy saying the lines. Right, yeah. So that, that, that's all you need to know right there. I haven't read a ton of Flash comics, uh, but what I have, I, I would say that this is probably my definitive version of The Flash 2, the Michael Rosenbaum one. Um, let's see. Uh, you know, it's debatable. If it's in continuity, we say it is. They say it's not. But I'd go with Beast Boy. I love this Beast Boy. And, you know, when I read him in the comics, I'm a little disappointed that he's not the Beast Boy we see uh, in Teen Titans there. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, oh, and Raven, too. Raven, too. I love Raven, her here. Yeah. Deathstroke. Oh, um, yes. Yes. Or Slade. Whatever, yeah, you, want, yeah. whatever you want to call him. <laughs> Goddamn Ron Perlman rules. <laughs> yes. All right. Last one today is from uh, Joseph. Right. Say, hey guys, thanks for the review of the Justice League episode in Justice for All. I always liked how Batman played the mind games with Solomon Grundy, causing him to fight with Ultra Humanite. <laughs> and thanks also for the review of Wonder Woman. I kind of hope that Earth2.net, the show, can do a review of the 80s movie Flash Gordon because I heard it is really campy, and I was wondering what made the movie campy. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it, so... It's... I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen it in its entirety in one sitting, but I think I've seen most of it just in passing. But, yeah, I really can't comment. Uh, so, so I, I really just can't comment on it, because it's been ages since I've even seen the little bits that I've seen. Uh, will Earth 2 at the show cover it? I wouldn't rule it out, but at the same time, it's not on the horizon. Thanks, and enjoy 2010. P.S. I heard that Iron Man 2 will be out this year. What do you guys think of having War Machine in the movie? I think it's a great idea to bring War Machine in. I think the way they set it up in the first one was really good, you know, where they tease us as if he's going to get into the armor, and then Rhodey's like, ah, oh, next time. Eh, yeah, next time. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see what they do with it, and I think... Uh, you know, a War Machine spinoff might be interesting, too. We'll see what happens with Iron Man 2, what they do with the character, uh, what direction they take it, and, uh, you know, if they end up involving War Machine in the eventual Avengers movie, um, and, uh, leading off into his own film, because I, yeah, I could totally see it. I could just, uh, well, I don't have any ideas for a War Machine film, but I could see them doing one, yes. <laughs> Long ago, in ancient times... My mother Hippolyta fell in love with a god, Lord Hades. When war broke out between the Olympian gods and their ancient foes, the Titans, Hades struck a treasonous bargain with the enemy. He would deliver Mount Olympus into the Titans' hands. In return, he would be given dominion over all humanity. Hades tricked my mother into opening the gates of Olympus to the invading Titans. There was a battle of which the muses still sing. The gods fought back and eventually prevailed. As punishment for his treachery, Zeus cast Hades into the pit of Tartarus, where he would rule over the dead for all eternity. And for her unwitting role in Hades' plot, my mother was charged with guarding the gateway to the underworld. To make sure the gate could never be unlocked, its only key was broken up and scattered across the globe. Mother told me she kept one of the pieces in the temple, as a daily reminder of her eternal shame. Then these relics we've been gathering are parts of the key? But why would Faust want it? Only one reason. He intends to use it. All right, first Justice League story up today is Paradise Lost. In this one, or I should say in episode one, 
we open up in a horrendous uh, thunderstorm. I think it's actually a hurricane. It is. And, yeah. Hurricane, um, oh, it's, it's Gardner, I think is what it is, after Gardner yeah. Fox. Yeah. But anyway, Wonder Woman ends up saving a little girl during this hurricane and returns her to her mother. And she, seeing the mother and her daughter so happy to be reunited makes Diana think about returning to Themyscira to talk to her mother about why she abandoned the island in the first place. Well, when she gets there, the island has been ravaged. Buildings have been set on fire uh, and just destroyed. And all of the Amazons, including Hippolyta, have been turned to stone. And Diana confronts the person who caused all this, the sorcerer Felix Faust. He tells Diana that he's looking for three relics that will grant him ultimate knowledge, and that one of them was on the mascara. Uh, and he makes a deal with Diana. Uh, if she gets the relics for him, he will restore her sisters. And he gives her 24 hours in which to do it. So Diana, you know, she's like, well, I have, what choice do I have? She flies off with these three crystals that eat, uh, I'd say two crystals that each home in on uh, one particular relic. No, well, she has three. She does have three? Yeah, there's three, because remember, there's three teams that end up looking for the stuff. Or no, well, she, okay, because she gets the first one, then Flash and John get the second, then she and Superman get the third. So there were three crystals. Well, there shouldn't have been, since one was on the island, but okay. Um, uh, no, he got, he got his own piece on the island. Yeah, so why did... Why did he give him? Or why did he give her three crystals? Then? Because there were three more pieces to be found: the one in the mall, the one uh, in by the temple, and the one uh, in the museum. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So there are four. There were four relics. I thought he. There said, are four relics, but three crystals. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought he said three relics total. Okay. He might have. I mean, there might be a mistake, but he gave her three crystals, and she found, or she and her teammates did find three pieces. So yeah. Okay. okay. Sorry to interrupt your synopsis there. No, no, no. That's fine. I, I was confused by the whole thing myself. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so after contacting Batman for some background info on Faust, she goes to find the first piece in a museum, and when she trips an alarm, this gigantic statue comes to life and attacks her. Well, she eventually destroys it, and she does get the first relic, but Superman arrives, and he demands to know what's going on since she just trashed a museum. Hmm. And meanwhile, Flash and uh, Jean join up, with them, and they decide to help Diana, despite obviously not trusting Faust. And Jean and Flash go to this, I guess, a Mayan temple, and they get one piece, and they are immediately attacked by a gigantic fire-breathing snake. All right, meanwhile, Diana and Superman go to the Metropolis Mall, where the third piece is apparently buried, and Superman takes it out of the earth when suddenly this bright light stuns them. And when the light fades, Diana and Superman are each confronted by a very hideous-looking monster where the other one was standing. And we go back to the temple area where the snake hurts Sean with its fire breath, but Flash distracts it long enough for Sean to get back up and uppercut the thing into a coma. And back at the mall, Superman and Diana fight each other, thinking that they are fighting some random demon monster thing. Uh, elsewhere, Batman confronts a university professor who apparently has some link to Faust. Um, we go back to the mall where Superman sees in a reflection in the mall fountain that it is Diana he's fighting, and he tries to tell her, but she can't understand him through this illusion. Well, he finally beats him through the wall of a boutique, and he points out to a mirror uh, that it's him, and she finally sees Superman, and the illusion is broken. And back on Themyscira, Faust uh, speaks to his co-conspirator through a magic mirror, and it turns out that he is helping the god Hades himself. 
And that's where episode one ends. Thoughts, sir? Eh, I don't know. I don't know what I feel about the first part of this episode, if you want the truth. Um, or uh, first part of this story, I should say. Um, really, I wrote down, like, two notes. Well, three notes. The first is, why was that little girl hanging around in a tree during a hurricane? <laughs> That's what Hurricanes I was wondering. just don't come out of nowhere. It's not like a thunderstorm, which, boom, can appear, though there's still generally a warning. I mean, hurricanes, you know for days, if not weeks, that they're coming. And she's just like, I'm going to climb a tree. Like, what was that? <laughs> uh, but speaking of that little girl, her name's uh, Cassie. That's clearly a reference to yeah. the Cassie Wonder Girl. Let's see, what were the other notes they wrote down here? Um, Wonder Woman clearly says that it's been eight months since the end of um, Secret Origin, or Secret Origins, whatever it was called. Right. Um, when she's in the jet, she's, you know, she's all like, oh, yes, Mother, I was in my room alone for eight months. So we finally have a timeline. Right. I think the timeline's bullshit because it takes more than eight months to build a super secret spy satellite, but, you know, <laughs> whatever, we have that. And then the last thing I wrote down is I thought Robert England did a really good job as Faust. Um, Absolutely. I never knew it was him. He never resorted to his Freddy voice. He was using a whole different voice, and um, I appreciated that. I really did. I thought he did an excellent vo uh, job. As, as that character. And again, differentiating it from the character he is synonymous with. So those are my thoughts about the first part. You, go now, please. <laughs> uh, Hera, give me strength alert. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, my, my other note, of course, I have Robert England is just so awesome here. Yeah. Um, and another thing I noticed is, you know, you'll notice they take great care not to show Superman punching Diana. Soups would either punch the beastie or Diana would be seen getting hit by the demon form. I didn't so. notice that. Good catch, though. Yeah, mm. they clearly, we're still not able either. I guess maybe the censors were like, no, you're not going to show a man hitting a woman. It's, you're just not going to, especially punching a woman. Yeah, you know, I've never picked up on it, but yeah, it's, oh, cool, cool. Yeah. But, but quality-wise, just what are you thinking about the, the first part of this story, because like I said, I'm sort of like, I don't know what to think about it. It's 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 kind of a mixed bag for me. I mean, you know, it's cool seeing the Justice League uh, go out there and do these things and have to fight a giant snake and fight, you know, a giant stone monster and Superman and Wonder Woman are fighting. That That's neat, but that doesn't necessarily make it good, at least in my mind. It, it, it seems kind of weak to me, but what about you? No, I'm in the same boat as you. I don't really know what to think about this first episode, although yeah. I do like the Justice League having to tackle mystic forces. Yeah, that's that's cool. I, I really, I'm pretty much in the same exact boat as you with everything you just said. If we were doing like separate grades for individual halves of a of a story, I wouldn't know what to grade this one. It's really not bad. It's it's just sort of like I don't. I got to keep saying it. I don't know. That's that's what it is. <laughs> I don't <Yep>. know. <laughs> oh, but how how fucking badass was that visual with Batman confronting the university professor? Yeah. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah. That was awesome. You know that professor wet himself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. He probably had a heart attack, too. Yeah, because we never see him again. He's clearly dead. Yep. Yep. Batman scared him to death. Yeah. Yes. Well, technically, he didn't kill him, so he could do that, you know? Yes. Yeah, was gave out on him. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> Doesn't uh, Etrigan say something like that in an episode or two when we get to Night with Shadows? I think he's like, ah, who cares? He'll be... 
he'll pass on in a couple of months anyway. Oh, I, I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Etrigan. Anyway, we'll get to that in a couple of episodes. But here we go. Here, here's a question I have to ask, and I just thought of it right here, right now. So, okay, Faust shows up to Themyscira. Uh, and, and, and this goes to, to a greater problem I have with this story as a whole, and it's something I was going to save uh, for the second part, but I'll bring it up here. Okay, hold the thought about Themyscira. So you're telling me that the Justice League, which includes Wonder Woman, a warrior princess, and her mother, a warrior queen, can't all stop Faust? Yes, he's got magic, but come on. He's just, he's just like a guy that's like in his 50s or 60s sidestep the magic and kick him in the face. And what I was getting at about Themyscira is how, how, how did he turn that entire island to stone if he, it, it looks like he can only do like one or two people at a time with that medallion. There's no way that, that you can convince me that they, the, the, the Amazons, couldn't flank him and chop his fucking head off while he was doing the stone thing on one of their sisters. It's bullshit. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. I'm sorry, it just really, really bothers me that no one could take this guy down. You know, had it been, like, uh, like okay, from the Wonder Woman movie, you know, like, it was Ares, literally a god. Okay, that's fine. You know, had it been, like, in this one, later on we get Hades. It's Hades, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, had it been him, okay, fine, because it's a god. But some guy who just has a medallion, shoot an arrow through the medallion, right through his hand, and you kill him dead. Or at least just stop him. You know, put an arrow in his eye, in his testicles. I don't care, but you're going to bring him down. Any of those women could have got him from from a sniper's nest. Oh, God. Well, shall we get into episode two then? Yeah, I guess so. Since we're so exasperated with episode <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> okay, when episode two opens, Batman has contacted the rest of the League to meet him at Faust's old office, and he explains that Faust was once a respected archaeology professor, but was kicked out of his particular university for his rantings on black arts and mysticism. And he swore revenge on those who mocked him, and many of those people later disappeared mysteriously. Diana looks over to the wall and sees disembodied, shrunken heads of three people and says, I have a pretty good idea what happened to them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Batman says, oh no, it's worse. The last entry in his journal makes reference to Tartarus, the Greek underworld. Diana is aghast at this, and she explains that Tartarus is not a myth, it is very real, and that once upon a time, her mother, Hippolyta, fell in love with Lord Hades. A war broke out between the gods of Olympus and the their ancient foes, the Titans, and Hades apparently struck a treasonous bargain with the Titans, and he would deliver Olympus into their hands and be granted dominion over all of mankind for payment. He tricks Hippolyta into opening the gates of Olympus to the enemies. The war was just epic, legendary, whatever adjective you want to use, but the gods eventually won, and Zeus found out what uh, Hades did and cast him into the pits of Tartarus, where he would rule the dead for all eternity. So Hippolyta's punishment for her uh, her unwitting role in this plot was to is to guard the gates of Hades, of Tartarus for all time. And to make sure that the gates of Tartarus were never opened again, Hippolyta had the key broken into all those pieces and scattered around the globe. And Batman knows that Faust intends to use the key, so they all decide to go to Themyscira to stop him. Uh, Diana gives shows up by herself and gives Faust the key, and uh, he indeed intends to betray him, uh, or betray her, and 
thankfully the league intervenes, uh, but Faustin and his bag of tricks are apparently too much for them to handle. So he he gets away with uh, Hippolyta, whom he uh, revive uh, revive from the stone form and and the key. So Hippolyta has been kidnapped. The key is gone. They're in a whole world of shit here. Uh, so Diana takes the league into the pit beneath the island, but they are too late. Faust has opened the gates of Tartarus, and Hades walks into the cavern to greet Hippolyta, who is not exactly happy with this turn of events. So Faust demands that Hades give him what he promised, ultimate knowledge. And so Hades keeps his end of the bargain, sort of. He touches Faust's forehead and says, ultimately pain and suffering are all men will ever know. So Faust's body begins to age several decades in the span of less than five seconds. He is just in immense pain. Uh, the League watches in horror as this is going on. And Diana cuts Hippolyta loose from her chains. Hades starts to attack them. And he just he easily dispatches every attack the Justice League throws at him. Superman punches him right in the face, but then just backhands Superman literally about, I don't know, 2,000 yards across the room. <laughs> and... Um, uh, Diana and Hippolyta prepare to attack him again, but he summons an army of dead warriors that the League does manage to fend off for a while, but Hades has enough of this, so he sends a fireball at them and just blasts away everyone. They're all knocked unconscious. Uh, but Faust, in the background, uses every last bit of magic left in him and sends this orb at Hades, which hurts him and reveals his rather disgusting true form. So Hippolyta and Diana attack, but Hades slaps Diana away and grabs Hippolyta and tries to give her a quote-unquote kiss, but, you know, he has, like, seven or eight tongues sticking out at her, so she doesn't really want that at all. And Hippolyta yells at Diana to, to destroy the key so it will close the, the door to Tartarus and send him back where he came from, and she does. The doors do begin to close with a vortex sucking in everything in sight. The League barely manages to keep from being pulled into it. Diana barely manages to keep from getting pulled into it. She somehow saves her mother and it, while managing to kick Hades in the face and send him right back to hell. And after it's all over, they're wondering how they're going to turn the Amazons back to human form. But the little medallion thing that Faust had to turn them to stone uh, glows when the sunlight hits it and the Amazons are all restored. Later, Hippolyta bestows awards to the League for their bravery in fighting Hades, and then she asks Diana to step forward. She says she is glad to see her daughter again, but as queen, she must uphold Themyscira laws, and she exiles Diana from Themyscira for bringing men to the island. Diana is distraught, but she gathers herself and accepts the judgment, and they all leave as Hippolyta looks on in a deep melancholy. The end. This this second part's a lot better than the first part. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, you know, there's, it's not like Wonder Woman, you know, the, the, the movie, <laughs> um, this action, but it, it tries, it, it does what it can within the confines of being a cartoon, uh, that was on TV, that was broadcast, that had to deal with the censors more than a PG-13 movie would. I mean, we've got, you know, people coming back from the dead, we've got, you know, the, the you know, Hades coming out, you know, in a human form and then in his true demonic form. Uh, I mean, when he gets on Hippolyta, he's all like, I mean, he's, without using the word, he's claiming he's going to rape her. 
I mean, it's very mature. The themes that are going on here are, they're gutsy. They're definitely gutsy. I've always praised the DCAU for having the balls to do certain things. And I, I like the ending with her being, you know, as your mother, yay, as your queen, bye. And knowing that it breaks her heart to, to do that, to exile her daughter, it, it's actually kind of complex. Not not terribly complex. That's why I said kind of complex. So, yeah, and I think my score at the end of the day will show you how much I enjoy um, this second part over the first part. Because I really think this makes up for the uh, mistakes of the first one. What about you? I, I could watch the second part of this one anytime just because of the fight between the League and Hades, really. Yeah, and you really almost don't even need to watch the first part. Really, if you just watch the, the recap, the title sequence, and then boom, you're good to go. I'm pretty much in the same boat as you. I Really, I was wondering what, what you found more gruesome, Hades' true form or Felix Faust dissolving into dust, and well, first turning into a skeleton and then dissolving into dust and being sucked into hell? Faust's demise. I mean, Hades' true form, I didn't even write a note about, because we've seen stuff like that before in cartoons like this. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, but, but I mean, it is it is a... Still a cartoon rated like TVY7 or whatever the rating is for that, American cartoons. And that, that is true. That is true. But that didn't affect me. But, you know, I've seen this story before, but I forgot that's what happens to Faust. And I was like, oh, my God. And I actually did write a note about it, which is uh, it's just Faust's end equals whoa. <laughs> just because, you know, as, as you said, he first gets turned into an old man, and then he gets another spell cast on him and turns into bones, turns into dust. Dust in the wind, dude. Oof, oof, oof. Totally brutal to just... Yeah. Oh, oh. It's, it's, it's not as brutal as Aquaman taking his hand off, but it's it's right up there in terms of, wow, they got away with that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a couple of notes about Jean, actually. One, why does he not phase through the plant tentacles? Exactly. Uh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could say that in almost like every other storyline that involves him. It's like, wait, you have phasing powers. Use them. <laughs> You're invincible, dude. Yeah. <laughs> he practically is. Except for fire, pretty much so, yeah. Yeah. And, well, that leads me to my next note. Is I, I, I loved his attack on Hades when he just flies down from the sky and steps on him. Yeah. And steps on Hades and, like, knocks him into the ground. It was, it, it was like Mortal Kombat-esque, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets blasted back out of the hole with a fireball. So. Yeah. <laughs> And then, and then Hades pulls the Shao Kahn line, bow to me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This, it was so, it was like Jean versus Hades in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> Something I really appreciated about this was, you know, at the start when uh, I think it was Wonder Woman or was it? Yeah, it was Wonder Woman. She was telling about the war that had happened. And I love that cool in quotes, ancient uh, style of artwork they used you know, yep. breaking away from the DCAU style and actually making it look like the, the paintings, the etchings you would see on the side of uh, vases, you know, ancient Greek vases. Yeah, Grecian urns, yeah. Yeah, that, that was really cool. And I know they sort of come back to it again in um, Justice League Unlimited, the one... Uh, shit. Where it, Shire and Wonder Woman have to go into hell? No, what's the one where they find that Viking ship? Don't they use, like, a similar kind of ancient style in that one, too? Oh, oh yeah. Wow, I had forgotten all about that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I like when they do that. It, it's a cool way to tell a flashback, you know, because it would seem weird seeing, an, you know, that kind of epic fight in the Justice League style, or in the DCAU style, I should say. Yeah. 
you yeah. know, that Bruce Tim style. So yeah, let's do something else and make it actually look historic. So yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I don't really have anything else to say. I, this episode isn't the second part that is is not all that deep. You know, yeah. it's it's mostly fighting. Yeah. So. But it's good fighting. It really oh, is. Oh yeah, it real definitely is. Yeah. Because there's bad fighting, as <laughs> we're going to be getting to very soon. Yeah. Oh, God. How many times have I... Uh, you know what, I'm not even going to say anything until we get to it. <laughs> Can we just, like, pretend we, we spoke about War World or whatever the fuck the thing's called, and, and then I can just be like, oh, there was a problem with the audio. I had to edit it out. Well, sorry, guys. And we just skip it? <laughs> uh, do you know how many angry emails I'd have to read on our next episode? <laughs> I don't care. You're the one that has to read them, you know? <laughs> I just forward them to you. <laughs> <sighs> See what I have to go through, people. <laughs> yes. Okay, I actually do have a few more things to, to say about uh, Paradise Lost here before we get on to War World. Where the fuck is Hawk Girl? Like, what, what's going on? Where's Green Lantern? Oh, yeah, you're right. He wasn't there either. Okay, they were off doing their own thing. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Um, there you go. There's your answer right there. I honestly didn't realize Green Lantern isn't there, but you're right, he isn't. I think Hawk Girl stuck out for me because, you know, like, she would be perfect as an <laughs> on this island. And that's actually probably why they didn't use her, though, I would have to gather. It's because this story is about Wonder Woman bringing men to the island. And if you bring Hawkgirl there, it sort of is like, oh, yeah, but she also brought Hawkgirl, so what's the big deal? That's actually something that sticks out to me as far as the entire Justice League timeline goes. They they take care in a lot of episodes to not, uh, not have Justice Leaguers in who would make the fight too easy. Mm-hmm. And I think if you bring in Green Lantern and Hawk Girl, the fight becomes way too easy. Green That's Lantern true. can just hold his ring up, up, oh, can't hit me, and yeah. Shira's mace is, like, anti-magic, so... That's a good point, because Superman, he's susceptible to magic. Batman, as good as he is, he's only human. John can be affected psychically, maybe... Uh, there was something in those vines which couldn't cause him to phase. Who the fuck knows? He also has that problem with fire. So as you said, when he's fighting Hades later on, Wonder Woman, she just has to be there because this is her story. And uh, Flash, I don't know, whatever. You could always trip him up by throwing a rock in his way or something, you know? So, which but you're is right. what Faust does. <laughs> exactly, that's why I said it. But, uh, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. If you bring those other two there, the fight's definitely over in the blink of an eye. And another thing is with Hawkgirl, as as far as she goes, she when we get to in our next WFP episode, we're going to be reviewing Fury, and she her she has to go to Themyscira, so it's kind of a important point of the plot in that episode. Oh, so okay, so that's probably why they didn't have her here. Also, okay, okay, I I, I didn't realize that. So cool, thank you. Okay, um, I love the interaction between Batman and Flash at the end when Flash is sticking up for Wonder Woman, and he's like, this is bullshit. She just saved all your asses, and you're exiling her. And Batman just grabs him, and is like, don't make this any harder than it already is. And you needed Batman to say that, not because he's the one that would say it, because Superman would say it too, he'd just be much more compassionate about it, but you needed Batman to say it because he knows what it's like to, to lose his family. It's different than the way Diana's losing her family right here, but he still knows. And that's why he has to be the one that steps in and tells Flash to shut the fuck up. Flash is right, but Batman's also right, too. Yeah, it was great. Okay, 
here's here's just some weird logic that Diana throws out there. At the end, she willingly accepts her mother's ruling because her mother is her queen, and she is like, okay, you know what? You're right. I brought these men here. I shouldn't have. I I'm gonna abide by this law, and I'll I'll accept this uh, exile. Your this yeah this whatever this exile you're placing on my head, right? Mm-hmm. What about the laws of man's world? She busted up a museum, and she busted up a mall. Yeah. Is she going to go to the cops and be like, oh, arrest me, please. I destroyed your museum and your mall. I mean, the museum, you could say, okay, she didn't intend to and she was just defending herself. But the mall, she and Superman broke through the floor to get the vase. Even if you don't count the fight that they had that trashed the mall, they broke through the floor of that building to get through the vase. You can't do that. I can't I can't go to the 7-Eleven down the street, pull out a jackhammer, and just dig up whatever I want to. Be like, hey, I found a quarter. See you later. And not get punished for it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> okay, when they were... When they were heading down to where the door was that, that led to, uh, you know, hell or Tartarus or whatever... Flash says, whoa, what's that smell? Wonder Woman says, don't ask. Right. Are are they, like, what, what are they walking through? Like, the Themyscira sewers, or what? It's just the, the scent of de- you know, death. Yeah, um, that's maybe. what I. That's what I have always assumed it was. And that, this isn't, like, me trying to come up with something off the top of my head. That When yeah. I first saw this episode in, like, 2002 or whenever it was, I thought that's what they were talking about. Yeah, because it's one of those things where when I was watching it, the note I wrote down is, you know, are they, you know, are they walking through the Amazon sewers? But then, of course, later on, you know, the dead do rise from that place, you know. So, you know, I started thinking, oh, okay, maybe it is just the dead that he is smelling. But I don't know. I don't know. Amazon's got to poop, too, and it's got to go somewhere. So that's that's what I'm saying it is. I'm sticking with it being their sewers. That that That's it. <laughs> And what was it exactly that um, caused all the Amazons to become not stone again? Just the fact that Faust was dead? They said, yeah, Batman said that uh, Faust being dead, uh, can't he can't hold their control over him anymore. And the sunlight, I guess, hit the medallion out in the open there and caught, turned them back to human. Okay, yeah, because I, 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 at first I'm like, oh, was it just the sun hitting the medallion? And then Batman says that thing... But he doesn't really mention that it needed the sun, so I'm like, if it didn't need the sun, why didn't it happen when Faust j- died, like, 20 minutes ago? Like, I, I-, I just didn't understand that-, that chain of events there, but... Okay. Uh, you're, it's it's really convoluted. Because there's a part of me that wants to hope, because the Flash was the one that was holding it, I was really hoping it was, like, the sun, the magic, and, like, his horn doggedness needing wanting the women around. <laughs> it was Flash's libido that brought them back. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. Captain, I want you to hear something. They're expressing their disappointment at the last specimen you brought. Great Mongol, please. A dozen creatures you found and not one of them has been able to last more than two minutes with Draga. I promise the next one will be different. He's a powerful Kryptonian, guaranteed to give Draga the fight of his life. He better. <sighs> okay, uh, the, the Martian Manhunter and Superman, they're in space, there's an asteroid. 
It's coming towards Earth. Oh, it's big. It's going to destroy Earth. So they put a bomb on it. Shayer is monitoring their readings and, oh no, there's hydrogen pockets on it. Get out of there. They can't get out of there in time. The bomb goes off. They get knocked out. The javelin gets destroyed. Another ship comes by. It picks them up. It's like, oh, look, humanoids. Yay, let's take them. They're prisoners. They're going to become gladiators. So we cut to this place called War World, and there's Mongols over there. So, yeah, that's pretty cool because he's voiced by Eric Roberts, who's the master, which is awesome. So Mongols are like, oh, yeah, look, here's this gladiatorial battle between this alien floaty potty purple oil spewing thing and this other guy called Draga who's got an eye and is not really that cool, but is supposed to be. And Draga sort of takes out this thing in like two seconds, and the crowd's all like, you suck! Because, I, I don't know, because <laughs> he won the fight. So, Mongol, he then telephones, like, the spaceship that picked up Superman and John, and he's like, you guys, you know, you guys gotta find me better people for Draga to kill, because, like, he kills them in, like, two seconds, and that that's not good for ratings. And he's like, oh, yeah, we, we found a Kryptonian! Never mind that they also found a Martian who's just as strong as Superman, but they, they just sort of, like, throw him to a crocodile. Like, really. Um, so, you know, Mongols are like, oh, yeah, that'll be good, whatever, get him over here. And uh, so then, uh, I don't know, we cut to the jails or something, and Draga comes up to Superman, and he's like, you ain't nothing, you you look like st stupid shit or something, I don't even know. So he, then he spits in Superman's face, and Superman breaks out of the chains, and some guy's all like, oh, why didn't you do that earlier? And Superman's like, it's called turning the other cheek. And so he's like, I'm getting out of here. And so he, he walks past this pit, and he sees John laying there. So he's like, oh, no, i got to save John. But then a giant alligator comes out of the water, and Superman fights the giant alligator. And um, <laughs> what happens from there? Uh, I don't even remember. Uh, something with Hawkgirl and, and Green Lantern happens. Um, they're, they're flying around. Oh, yeah, yeah, because Green Lantern blames Hawkgirl for not, like, reading the readings or the data right earlier. So it's her fault that these two guys put a bomb on an asteroid and got blowed up and possibly dead and kidnapped or whatever. So they're, they're trying to find them and they, 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 I don't know, they do something. Like the Mongols are like, Oh, okay. So, you know, I wanted to build up the Kryptonian to lead to the big main event between him and Draga, but ah, fuck that shit. So he takes Superman, he makes him fight Draga and Superman beats Draga and Draga's all like, Oh, you got to kill me. And there never, you know, even uh, Mongols like, yeah, you have to kill him. Because that's what we do around here. And Superman's like, no, I'm not going to kill him. The Mongols are like, okay, robots, you know, shoot him to death. And so John Jones is sitting in the crowd of this gladiatorial pit. And he's all like, oh, no, they're going to shoot Superman with laser beams, which he can clearly survive because I've seen him do this dozens of times before. But cliffhanger! My God, this episode from start to finish is so fucking lame. Uh -huh. it, it makes no sense any way you try to look at it. And, um, you know, Mike, you, I remember back when we were doing Static Shock, you gave a top three list of why one particular episode failed massively. Okay. Uh, it was a rubber band man episode. I don't remember which one it was, but um, I offer my top six list as to why this episode fails epically. Okay, good. Go for it, because for this whole story, I literally have two notes. I've already said one of them, so please go. <laughs> okay, number six. Superman is portrayed so weakly for absolutely no reason. All, all you need to know about how feeble Superman is here, he gets knocked unconscious by... The aforementioned lasers. 
And really, that makes just perfect sense, considering he survived an asteroid exploding in his face earlier. <laughs> but moving on. Yeah, because there's none of this, oh, I'm not underneath a yellow sun business. They don't even bother to throw that line in there. If they threw a line like that in there, okay, you can understand why he's weak, but because it's it's not there, we can assume maybe there is a yellow sun. Number five, uh, similarly, Sean is weakened by this planet's atmosphere with no explanation as to why. It's, it's, it's just a total plot device. And then they try and show him struggling with his shape-shifting later on, but when he's too weak to continue the disguise of Mongol, he reverts to his Earth costume and not his Martian form. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> That's right. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> Nice. Number four, Draga is the biggest emo kid ever. Number three, Mongol is one of the shittiest comic book villains ever, and this episode did nothing to change that. He's just a super strong version of Shang Tsung without the soul-stealing power. <laughs> Number two, Hawk Girls. Uh, I'm going into episode two here, but I don't care. Uh, Hawk Girl stops a beam of energy with enough power to destroy a planet with her mace. <laughs> Fuck right off. And how did that energy backfire not cause the entire war world planet to blow up? Because I kind of think that's how equal and opposite reaction works. Yeah. And the number one reason why this episode just is epically shitty, this episode is Gladiator as a Justice League episode. And you know what? I fucking hate it, Gladiator. It is, a, <laughs> it is an overrated piece of shit. I mean, the plot of this episode, even though it's based off of a late 80s Superman story arc, I realize that, it has every major plot point of Gladiator. It, and I, I'm sorry, that movie is terrible. I don't care what anybody tells me. That movie is terrible. It, 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 I hate uh, Russell Crowe with a fiery passion. So, <laughs> well, well, hang on. Which one came first, though, Gladiator or this episode? Uh, you know, I believe Gladiator did. Okay, because I mean, even if you know, if this did come first, then it's loosely based off any sort of gladiatorial movie. To be fair, Gladiator came out two years before. Okay, okay, pardon that, pardon that. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I've never seen Gladiator. I I never saw it because I'm not a fan of Russell Crowe. So, yeah, but yeah, oh god, this this story. Uh, do you have anything else to say about this first part? <laughs> uh, I I will give it one thing. I th- I think it was a a neat little way for them to show and uh, someone being executed without showing blood with that robot creature spurting oil. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that was, was cool. That was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if it's in the first part or the second part, but I could swear at one point someone actually calls Mongol mongrel. I don't remember that, but yeah. it could be because I wasn't paying close attention. <laughs> yeah. I guess the only other thing going back to my point about uh, Mongol being Shang Tsung, he busts out, finish him. <laughs> so there. Okay. Yeah. Now now we can go on to episode two. Uh, okay. So uh, in episode two, um, like Superman, he's being shot by the lasers and stuff. And, uh, you know, Mongol's all happy because, like, this guy who just beat his uh, top warrior is, is going to get killed. So it makes sense that this guy who could bring in ratings, uh, uh, what do you call it, get killed and it would make him happy. I, 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 but, okay, I, I don't get it, but whatever. Um but then John, uh, his way to save Superman is to stand up and be like, no, he's a really good fighter. Superman, Superman. Don't and then, you want to see him fight again? Yeah. So then, like, this, this like, little alien girl thing in, in the audience is all like, yeah, I like Superman, too. So the crowd starts all chanting Superman, and uh, what do you call it? The Mongols' aid is all like... Oh, yeah, maybe we shouldn't kill him. Mongol's like, oh, okay, fine, we won't kill him. So they don't kill him. But then Mongol, he, he gets Superman later, and he's like, I'm going to kill you. 
And Superman's like, no, you're not. And then Mongol's like, yeah, I am, because, you know, no one's ever stood up to me before, ex well, except Draga, and look what happened to him. So, fuck you. And so Superman's like, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> so Superman and Draga, they're, like, thrown back in the dungeon. And uh, the the other gladiator alien guys are down there, and they're all like, hey, you're cool, because you stood up to Mongol. And uh, because I guess telling Mongol I'm not going to kill the guy is make Superman cool or whatever. But, uh... What do you call it? So they're like, yeah, there's there's this garbage dump that's going to be, or the garbage truck or whatever that's going to be leaving, and you can get on it, and you can get out of here, and you can save your life. And because uh, they apparently don't want to use it for themselves, but they want to save Superman. So, like, he, Superman's like, no, no, I can't do that. My, my friend's hanging around here. I got to save him. And uh, so they're like, okay, you're kind of stupid, but whatever. So, you know, he's, he's walking away, and they see Draga getting dragged away, and he's going to get killed. He's going to be thrown to that crocodile who can't eat him anymore because Superman kind of punched out his teeth, but maybe he'll drown or something. I don't know. And uh, so Superman's like, hey, how about we put Draga on, on that garbage truck? And they're like, okay, you're, you're really stupid, but whatever. So um, we, we then cut back to Hawkgirl and Green Lantern, and they found some smuggler guy, and they're all like, hey, take us to War World, or she'll hit you in the face with her mace. And so the guy's like, okay, okay, fine, whatever. So they're in the back of this guy's truck, and they, they start bickering like an old married couple because that's clearly how you flirt with someone. You just sort of yell at them all the time. And so he's like, whatever, and he rolls up the window, uh, and, and he gasses them. So they get knocked out, and for, like, no good reason he does this. He doesn't, like, try to bounty them or anything, and he just dumps them on this, this planet, which happens to be the same planet that Drake is dumped on. And so, like... They end up meeting up. But before this, Draga, he's all like, no, you dumped me out of a garbage truck. So he takes a piece of metal and he bends it and he gets it all hot and stuff. And he scars himself with an S. And so he, he wants to remember the guy who shamed him or something. And uh, so then, like, they, you know, the, these, the three meet up. And, the, you know, Green Lantern's like, look, you know, I could... I could fly us off this planet, but I don't know where, where War World is. And Drake is like, oh, I know where it is. Follow me. So they all get in a bubble, and they fly towards War World. And Draga is, uh, you know, he's all like, okay, we're here. And he punches Green Lantern, and he goes falling. And Hawkgirl's got to save him or something. And, you know, he, he's out to look for Superman because, you know, he, he has no honor now because he wasn't killed by Superman because, I don't know, he's Klingon or something. So, like, you know, in the meantime, Mongol's all like, okay, Superman, I got a problem with you, so um, instead of just having you shot in the face, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight you, and you're gonna take a dive. Uh, and if you don't, I'm gonna use this super duper Death Star laser on Draga's home planet. And Superman's like, No, you can't do that. And Mongol's like, Yes, I can. And Superman's like, No, you can't. He's like, Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. So fuck you. So they end up fighting, and like, you know. Superman's beating him up, and Mongol's like, what are you doing? You're supposed to take a dive. And Superman's like, yeah, I'm making it look real. And Mongol's like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. That's funny, haha. So uh, Mongol's about to, like, kill Superman or something, and this is when the Justice League, they all get together, and they, they destroy the laser that James mentioned earlier. Because at first, John's, he tries to pose as Mongol, and he's all like, yeah, decommission this. And they're all like, uh, what? And he's like, yeah. And they're like, okay. So, but then they figure out it's John, and then, yeah, Shire hits the laser beam, because, I don't know, it's cool or something. Um, and the laser blows up. But, I, yeah, so, um, yeah. Anyways, so back on the planet, uh, the Justice League, they show up, and 
they they kind of save Superman from getting his ass handed to him, and they're all like, hey, you don't got to take a dive now because, like, we destroyed the Death Star. And he's like, thanks, Luke. So then he beats up uh, Mongol some more, and then Draga shows up, and he beats up on Mongol, and it's just sort of a gangbang on Mongol. And then uh, Mongol goes down and uh, loses this, the little crown he has, little crowny thing. And, you know, Superman's all like, yeah, I was I was going to take a dive. I was going to let myself get killed because whatever, they were going to blow up your planet. And Mongo's like, you, or excuse me, Drake was like, you are going to do that for me. And Superman's like, yeah, because I'm Superman and I'm not a douchebag like you. So uh, Drake is like, wow. That's kind of impressive. So whatever, he tries to hand Mongol the crown, or he tries to hand Superman Mongol's crown. So Superman's all like, no, no, I, I got a better planet to go back to. You, you, you take care of this shitty planet. You can be a shitty king. So he's all like, wow, okay, yeah, I want to be a shitty king. So, like, you know, he, he puts the crown on, and he's all like, yeah, I run this shitty world. And, like, then the Justice League. Oh, he doesn't League, even just, put it on. He just stands there holding it as the episode ends. Oh, that's right, yeah. So then, like, the Justice League, they get in the Green Lantern's bubble, and they just sort of, like, fly back home and and that's that's the end i have one note for the rest rest of this considering i already used up my hot girl note a minute ago green lantern told hot girl that without knowing how far they are away from Warworld, he shouldn't use his ring at the end of the episode he takes all the heroes into the energy bubble and flies off aimlessly <laughs> into space exactly there you get that there you go that's that's my note for this episode as I said, I had two notes for this one. The first one was the fact that uh, Eric Roberts, who played the master in the 1996 Doctor Who uh, Fox BBC produced uh, TV movie, uh, I don't even know if what I just said made sense. But yeah, he played the master over there, uh, was, was Mongol. My other note here is why do these guys take it upon themselves to fire the weapon at Draga's planet? Mongol's still off fighting Superman, but they're all like, hey, we're going to fire this weapon anyways. Like, what? Mongol never gave them the order to fire it, but they're prepping it to, to, to fire it, even though Superman's supposed to take the dive anyways. Superman's willingly going to die. You know, Mongol knows this. Superman agreed to it, but they're all like, we're going to fire the weapon. And even though the League showed up, that still shouldn't have given them permission to fire the fucking weapon. It just it just makes no sense. Yeah, just... is, fire, is firing that weapon going to get rid of the Justice League? Yeah. Right, that are in their faces? Exactly. Ugh. Ugh. I mean, this is the perfect example of padding. I mean, this whole story just should have been one episode. It wouldn't have been a good episode, but it would have been better than the two parts we got here. Yep. You know? Oh, it's it's bad. I mean, I know we had issues with the length of the uh, the Green Lantern one that we covered last time, where I think we said it should have been like an episode in ten minutes or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, at least we gave it an extra ten minutes, about another half an episode. This one... One episode at best, at best. It's just a giant, it's just an excuse to have like one giant fight with, with Superman and Draga and Superman and Mongol and then Superman and Draga and Mongol and then the Justice League in there too. The only thing I'll give this whole story is that it, this was really the beginning of the hot girl Green Lantern relationship. Yeah, you you can tell that there's something that's going to come out of this. It's It's not just them bickering with each other that they... This is kind of their way of flirting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're two military people, so, mm -hmm. you know, I guess they're hard-headed. <laughs> yeah. Was that really necessary? Okay. So he can talk. Who are you? My name is Solovar. I'm chief of security for Gorilla City. Gorilla City? You've got to be kidding. I assure you this is no laughing matter. Go on. Safely hidden from humanity. 
We apes have lived in peace for thousands of years. Until the black day when a power-mad genius named Grodd tried to conquer our city with advanced mind control technology. We were able to thwart his evil plot. But we couldn't prevent his escape. It wasn't until later that we discovered he had also stolen our city's security plans. Grodd has sworn terrible revenge on all who reside in Gorilla City. So that's why you're here? Yes. To stop him from carrying out his threats. And lastly up today is the Brave and the Bold. In this one, it starts off in Africa where a couple of archaeologists are examining some remains of prehistoric mankind. Uh, when behind them, and this is apparently not noticed by either of them, a mountain disappears and is replaced by a gigantic futuristic city. We see this gorilla on a hover bike racing out of the place and being pursued by other gorillas on hover bikes. When the pursuing gorillas see the humans, they turn back and fly back into the city and the mountain reappears where the city was. And credits roll. Uh, we Opened up in Central City, where Flash is at a diner, flirting with a uh, couple of ladies. Uh, they're very bored with his stories, uh, because he's apparently told them to them many times. Uh, suddenly, a car comes flying through the window of the diner, uh, because a large van has been is speeding down the street, shoving cars aside all over the place. The car nearly crushes the two girls, but Flash saves them, and he excuses himself to go take off after the van. The driver of this van refuses to slow down, and he starts shooting at the Flash as he's chasing after him. Eventually, they get to a bridge, and the van skids off of the bridge and starts teetering. But John Stewart arrives to give Flash a hand. In the back of the van, they find uh, several containers of radioactive isotopes, and they check the IDs of the drivers, and they find out that they are both research scientists at the Institute where the isotopes were stolen from. Both men appear to wake up like they were in a trance, and they neither of them knows what the hell just happened. So they go to the Institute, and Flash and Green Lantern question the scientist's colleague, I guess, uh, Dr. Corwin, I believe is her name. And she says that she has no explanation for what they were doing, but it was probably just stress from a project that they've been working on. And while she's speaking to Lantern, Flash goes over and notices this very large gorilla among the test monkeys in the laboratory. When Flash is getting a snack, he and Lantern get a really bizarre report that a gorilla has been sighted downtown terrorizing citizens and is now driving a getaway car to escape the police. So Flash chases down the car and is surprised when the gorilla tells him to get the fuck away from him. <laughs> Corwin is hiding on a rooftop and blasts uh, the Flash with some kind of weird energy ray and flash starts having a, several hallucinations and when it's all over he's he wakes up inside a jail cell and the police show a surveillance tape to him of him stealing isotopes from the police impound 
and his interrogation is cut short because Green Lantern arrives, takes him away, and starts uh, giving him the third degree. Flash says he's innocent. He doesn't know why he was stealing the isotopes. The last thing he remembers was stopping the talking gorilla. <laughs> Lantern is naturally very skeptical of this, but they do manage to track the gorilla down, and he introduces himself as Solovar, the chief of security for Gorilla City, uh, which is a civilization of incredibly intelligent gorillas hidden away from mankind for uh, a very, very long time. And their city was very peaceful until recently when Grodd, who is a genius scientist in this city, developed a mind-control helmet, and he tried to use it to take over the city. Well, the authorities there developed a resistance to the helmet and chased Grodd away, but he has now sworn revenge on all of Gorilla City and intends to destroy it. Uh, Solovar also says that he's found an email correspondence between Grodd and, and the Dr. Corwin. Flash, again, as he always does, impulsively streaks back to the Institute before Solovar can explain that he has some headbands that will shield a person from Grodd's mind control. And by the time Solovar and Lantern get back to the Institute, Grodd has already uh, knocked Flash out, and he takes over Flash's mind and uses him to attack Lantern and Solovar. GL finally does knock Flash out, but by this time, uh, Grodd and Corwin have, all, have both escaped. And Grodd uh, activates this gigantic machine using isot uh, those isotopes from earlier. Uh, he activates it right in the heart of Central City. Uh, he and Corwin speed away, and Lantern and Solovar run to the machine, but it gives off this massive energy surge and covers the entire city. And as the episode ends with really just looking like the city has just been turned into dust. So what are you thinking so far? Uh, you know, it, it's an episode that, you know, focuses on the Flash, and it's got talking monkeys or gorillas, and, you know, it's got some crazy chick that wants to have sex with monkeys or gorillas or whatever, and, yeah, I mean, okay, it's not said she wants to have sex with them, but come on, you know, sexy librarian, scientist type, you know, she's all with grad, you know, there's something going on, it's a little something-something, you know, but whatever. So, I don't know, it, it's a decent episode. I think it, uh... It's not great, you know, it's it's definitely not great, but it's a whole hell of a lot better than War World. But but here, let me let me let me just throw out some like problems I have with this one. First off, when the Flash is chasing that truck, they pass Tom's Cafe like twelve times. They keep passing the same storefronts over and over again. Again, the same massage parlor, wink wink, nudge nudge. It was like watching an old like like Bugs Bunny cartoon where they keep passing the same door as they're running around a house, you know? So so that's ridiculous. You know, there's there's other little flubs like that. When Flash and GL are over at the, uh, the you know, because the Flash says, you know, he's got that accelerated metabolism, so he has to eat all the time. Is he buying hot dogs or burgers? Because when they're in his hands, they look like hot dogs, and then when Green Lantern puts them down, they look like burgers, but they're, but the, the condiments, the mustard, is on there like it's a, like it's a hot dog. So there, there's, like, little errors like that. There, there's more along those lines. There's the scene where, um, uh, which monkey, which gorilla is it? Who's the one that steals the car? Is it Grodd that steals the car? No, it's Sol the... Solovar. Solovar steals the car. Like, there's a guy just standing there, and then all of a sudden he decides to move and get into his car. It was like an actor waiting for his cue on camera. <laughs> I've never seen that before in animation, but it's what's happening. And you can't tell me he's he's staring at the monkey... I know what you're saying, monkey. Sorry, gorilla. He's staring at the gorilla and then decided to get into his car. No, they just animated him in the frame for some weird reason and let him just stand there 
motionless like a mannequin until it was time for him to move. It's, it was ridiculous. And then, and then, and then, my, like, one of my biggest problems with, like, this whole idea of just, like, Gorilla City and the super smart gorillas and whatnot, they hide their city by putting some sort of, like, hollow cloak around it that makes it look like a mountain. No one's ever tried to climb the fucking mountain? Yeah. Like, <laughs> explain really? that to me. You know, the, yeah. the, 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 the great thing about the human race is that if it's there, we try to climb it. A mountain, a tree, like the little girl in the first one during the hurricane, a building, a, a rope, whatever. We climb things. Someone would have climbed that mountain. But no, <laughs> like that one, no, no one ever tried. Oh, I know those are all, you know, kind of nitpicky little things. I will admit that. But that just kind of summarizes my feelings about this, this first story. You know, it, it's not bad if you can get past those things. But they're still there. What about you? Sorry, I've been going on. No, I, I have plenty of gripes myself. Flash cannot catch up to a speeding van. Yeah. <laughs> Relative to the Flash, a speeding van should be something like, I don't know, a runaway tricycle. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That, that uh -huh. chase went on. That, sh that chase should have been, I don't know, like seven seconds, if yeah. that. And here's my biggest gripe with this entire first part. Why did Grodd brainwash those two doctors into stealing isotopes from a building that he was inside of? Those isotopes came from that institute. Grodd <laughs> brainwashed them. What, what, what was he doing? <laughs> no, really? Were they in that building? Oh yes, god, that's where that. they came from. Oh my god. And I mean, it's, seriously, it's like a bank teller manipulating co-workers into stealing money from the vault, driving it around town for a spin, and bringing it all back. <laughs> I missed that. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, God. It just that, Which means that the first, I don't know, seven, eight minutes of this episode were complete nonsense. I don't know. I, I, I love the character of Grodd, and Powers Booth is a brilliant actor. Uh, I love his portrayal of Grodd, but this episode as a whole is just so dumb. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's not the best, but, you know, for me, talking gorillas, the Flash, you know, yeah. at least it's got that. But no, it's it's seriously fun. And what I want to know is, okay, so the, 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 the chickie with the glasses, she shot Flash with the bazooka thingy, right? Mm-hmm. And then... Next thing he remembers after seeing the flashback to his origin, which kind of contradicts Teen Titans, but we'll ignore that. Because it was really a hallucination. He was dreaming about his Uncle Barry's origin. Yeah! <laughs> Weren't all of those hallucinations he had supposed to be like uh, uh, nods to old Flash comic book covers? Yes, yes they were. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she shoots him with the bazooka. Then the next thing he remembers is he wakes up and he's in the police station and they're all like, Hey, you stole some stuff. So what did shooting him with the bazooka have to do with anything? Yeah, I know. Again, it's just something that was just padding that yeah. didn't need to be there. It made no sense at all. We're supposed to assume that the bazooka is what made him do that thing, but elsewhere we see it's Grodd's helmet. So I, it, 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 it just, I, I can't connect A to B to get to C. I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because why do you even have to shoot him? Why couldn't Grodd just pop out a window and be like, hi, I've got my super helmet, and you ain't got your, you know, the thingy on your head, because, of course, he didn't even know about the thingy yet, and then just go make him do the thing. What was with the bazooka? <sighs> they were just trying to delay Grodd's uh, debut into talking yeah but it was dumb that's really all it was i mean the only thing i'll give this first episode is we got a powerpuff girls reference oh yeah 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 what was the exact line he just calls him mojo 
Yeah, a fun mojo. That's it. And of course, there was a Planet of the Apes line. Oh, of course. When Slash grabbed uh, whatever his face was, and he's like, oh, "Get your stinking hands off me, human!" So yeah, filthy human. Yeah. Yeah. Shall we get to episode two? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> episode two opens up um, in the Watchtower. Jean sees the apparent complete disappearance of Central City, and. They fly down. They, uh, I say they, mean Wonder Woman, Hot Girl, and Jean all fly down in a javelin. They go down there, and there's nothing visible but this crater where Central City used to be. But the ship's dis- uh, sensors detect that something is there, and the ship glan- uh, like crashes into a force field. I mean, it's something solid. They don't know what it is yet. But it's completely invisible, and they land, and they realize that there is a force field enclosing the city, which is completely impenetrable by any of them. Inside, Central City is still fully intact, uh, and it's just hidden from the outside world, just like Gorilla City is. Green Lantern and Solovar wake up. Uh, they meet up with Flash, who snapped out of the mind control. Grodd has now gathered this huge crowd of people under his mind control in the middle of Central City, and Lantern, Flash, and Solovar go up there and confront him, but Grodd sicks all of the people on them, uh, and he flies off again. Lantern takes off in pursuit of... Grodd, while Flash and Solovar try to keep this mob off of them, but uh, when they get too close, Flash picks up Solovar and runs through the crowd at uh, until they get out of their way to safety. At this point, Batman uh, communicates to the leaguers outside the city, saying that he's found a similar energy source uh, to the ones enclosing Central City, located in Africa. And he says, well, let's let's just meet in that at that place and see if we can find some answers. But when they arrive, they're immediately captured by the security forces of Gorilla City, who think they're spies. Grodd and Dr. Corwin go off to a military base, and Grodd controls the, the minds of the soldiers there with his helmet. And he arms four nuclear missiles, and eventually Lantern Flash and Solovar arrive, just as the missiles are taking off. And Solovar realizes that they are headed for Gorilla City, so Lantern flies off after them to stop them while Flash and Solovar have to confront Grodd inside the base. Uh, we go back to Gorilla City. Uh, the other leaguers are being interrogated, but the League manages, uh, manages to get out of the prison. And, but they, and when they get to the ed- edge of the city, they're trapped by the shield, and the gorillas all confront them, hold their guns up to them, and say, uh, try that again, and you're going to regret it. But as this happens, the shield enclosing the city shuts down, and there's the guy's like, get the shield back up immediately, and the guy can't get it up because something has overridden the control, and the guy immediately, the gorilla immediately knows it's Grodd. And at the same time, they they detect missile, the incoming missiles, and to their surprise, the League offers to help them. And we go back, uh, we go over the Atlantic Ocean where Lantern manages to catch up with uh, and destroy two of the missiles, but as the second one breaks up, this huge piece of debris hits him right in the head, uh, which knocks him out cold for several minutes, and he starts plummeting to Earth. We go back to the military base, and Grodd sees two of the missiles go down, and he attacks Solovar, but Flash distracts him by pushing his helmet down over his eyes, and Grodd tries to uh, attack Flash, but Flash easily dodges the uh, punches he throws at him. Lantern, meanwhile wakes up just in the nick of time to save himself from plummeting to his grisly death, and he catches up with the missiles, but not in time to stop them from hitting the city. Thankfully, the other leaguers are waiting for them, and Jean takes out one by uh, phasing through it and extracting its guidance system, causing it to crash 
well away from the city. Hawkgirl smashes the last one with her mace, breaking it into several pieces, but the warhead is still crashing towards the city, so uh, the gorillas all flee in panic, but Diana manages to push it off course and stop it from exploding, but as it goes along the ground, it looks like it crushes her to death. Seeing this, Batman is aghast. He runs up into uh, into the, the wreckage and starts doing, just trying to dig anything he can away and trying to see if Diana's okay. And when there's no response, he gives up and the missiles, the, you know, the body of the missile lifts up and Diana emerges and she says, you know, the gods were kind today, your city is safe. Batman <laughs> tries to hide his dirt-covered gloves from Diana, but she notices them and kisses Batman on the cheek. Aww. Back at the military base, uh, Grodd sees the last missile has been deactivated he just goes berserk. He's supremely pissed off. He attacks the Flash, but he still evades everything Grodd tries to do. And so Flash uh, proposes a fair fight, uh, saying, you know, you take off the helmet, I'll take off the headband. And uh, so he takes off the headband, inviting Grodd to take off the helmet, but Grodd, of course, doesn't do any such thing. So he smiles and says, you're dumber than you look. Flash says, oh yeah, well, you're naked. <laughs> So Grodd says, oh yes, the world will miss your sparkling intellect, Flash. Goodbye. So he activates the helmet, but he screams as the helmet overloads and sends feedback right into Grodd's brain. And the Flash explains to Dr. Corwin that when he pushed the helmet over his head, he uh, crossed several of the wires. To Flash's surprise, Corwin says that she was in love with Grodd. She was never under his mind control. The League meets up at Gorilla City... And the leaders thank them for their help, and Solovar shows them Grodd, who's just been turned into a complete vegetable. Uh, he's, like, pushing a, a tire, a, sw- a tire swing in a cage. And so he says, don't worry, we'll, we'll take good care of him. And the League and Solovar walk away, but as they do, the vacant look in Grodd's eyes disappears, and he looks furious. That's where it ends. Why would the gorilla people, why would their jail look like a zoo? I, I have no idea. That's I mean, always have... bothered me. That <laughs> they put him on display in a zoo? Like, yes, kitties, if you decide to become an evil genius and end up fucking up and have your mind wiped, yeah, we'll put you on display. So no one else ever does it? I don't get why they would denigrate themselves like that by by putting themselves on display the way man puts them on display. Yeah, that, that's bothersome. What about you? Well, here's another problem I have. Why did Sean not sense Diana telepathically under the missile wreckage? Yeah, he stops Batman like, oh no, she's dead. And Batman's like, oh, oh she's oh. not! Yeah. <laughs> like, what was that? <laughs> <sighs> oh, we have a hair give me strength alert. And again, uh, like I gave the last episode, gotta give this episode the the seats for the Diana Bruce stuff have been set here. Right. Now, do we ever get that pre-JLU, though? Do we get that stuff in Justice League? Um, I don't remember off the top of my head. I, I, God, I have to think they do, but okay. I don't know for certain off the but top of But it is definitely head. being set up here, and that is good, yeah. Yeah. One thing I do have to take note of here is, if you look on the Batcave computer, the marker on the U.S. map, I think, would put Central City somewhere in Indiana, maybe Michigan, now, obviously, given how goofy this episode is and how many animation flubs there are, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt, but I think 
Indiana, Indianapolis would be a, 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 a logical place for Central City to be. I think Central City is in Ohio. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Indianapolis. That that seems logical to me. This episode does have a really good line though. When a uh, I think it's at the beginning of the second episode where Greenlander says, "Flash, don't heckle the supervillain." <laughs> that was cutesy, but it was kind of funny. <laughs> I'm still not overly thrilled by this episode, but. I know you obviously like it more than me. So yeah, I, I think overall this whole storyline is you know middle of the road. It's it's not terrible, but it, it definitely has its problems. Is all I can really say about this one. But its problems are always these little things. Like I mentioned before, they're constantly running around the same buildings. Um, uh, what, what do you call it? The the, the mix up with the che- is it cheeseburgers or is it hot dogs? What what's exactly going on there? The guy being frozen and there was something else I forgot to bring up in that first part. They're in Central City, but the cop cars, unless I'm mistaken, they're they're Metropolis police cars. They do say Metropolis Police Department on them. Yeah, wh- wh- what are the Metropolis the Metropolis PD doing in Central City? I think they're a little far away from their jurisdiction <laughs> there. Yeah, you know, and then then there's other little things I got to call into question. Okay. Gorilla City technology is super advanced. I, I, I'll accept that. I, I absolutely will. I have no problem with it. But what I do have a problem accepting is that it's more advanced than the Owen technology of the Green Lantern ring. I forget exactly what John was trying to do, but he tried to do something with the ring, and he couldn't. And uh, what's his face? The the one that's not Grad, whose name you've told me three times and I can never remember. Solovar. Solovar. Okay. Is all like, yeah, our technology's impressive, isn't it? And John's like, yeah. I- I'm sorry. I just don't think the gorilla people technology would be so advanced that it could stop the, you know, Owen technology. That is the ring. You know, I don't want the ring to be like the thing that always saves the day. But I do have a problem here. I, j- I just, I just absolutely do. Like I said, there's animation flubs all over the place. Not you see, You've already told the hamburger and hot dog thing, but another one is when, at the very beginning of the second episode, when the javelin crashes into that force field, there's visible damage on it, and then when they, they take that same javelin into Africa, the damage is completely gone. <laughs> uh, and I didn't like how ultra-cartoony Grodd's face got at the end when he was getting all shocked in the brain. I actually didn't have a problem with that, but... See, I, I can see why you would. Yeah, I do, because he's not the Joker. You know, like, when we look back at the Joker at the end of the, uh, what do you call it, the the Injustice one. Injustice for All, is that it? Yes. Yeah, and his face gets all cartoony. Okay, it's fine, he's the Joker, we'll deal with it. But but Grodd's face, just stretching the way it did, wasn't liking that. Wasn't liking that at all. I mean, I guess it's cool that this is the first time we've gotten Grodd. Yeah, that's that's what I said. That's one of the, thing, the few things I do like this episode for, is because... Yeah. I think Grodd was portrayed very well, yeah. and Powers Booth did a really, really good job as the voice. I, I like the fact that the Flash is the one to outsmart him. It's not, you know, Martian Manhunter or Green Lantern or Superman or even Batman. The Flash, you know, just switches <laughs> up some wires and fries the guy's brain, you know. It shows that beneath his jokey exterior and his seeming impulsiveness, pun intended, that he he does actually know what he's doing. He is a bright fellow. He just chooses not to show it. But but then there's, like, creepy stuff with the woman. I'm in love with him. I was never hypnotized. Oh, God. That was a little weird. (laughs) Just a little. Okay, honey. Sure. 
there's people that'll dress up in costumes and do it for you, and, and it don't have to be an animal, but if that's your thing, whatever. Um, here's a question for you. If the animal is sentient, is it still bestiality? Oh. I mean, it's still an animal, but, I mean, he, he's all willing and stuff. It's not like you're harming him. He's like, yeah, babe, whatever, you know. It's still bestiality, because he is still an animal. <laughs> yeah, but I guess what I'm asking is, would it be against the law? Anyways, um, why do the gorillas speak English? Fuck if I know. Why do all those aliens in War World speak English? I just assume the aliens have, like, some sort of, like, universal translator. <laughs> but the gorillas, I don't know, maybe they do too, because they're, like, super smart gorilla people, but I don't know. That that was kind of bothering me. Yeah, especially because they're based in Africa. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and the thing is, I think in two different places, the location of... Gorilla City changes on maps because on the Batcave computer it's clearly in West Africa, but I want to say in another point in the episode it was shown to be near um, like Kenya down in oh. South, Southeast Africa. <laughs> I didn't pick up on that. Jesus Christ. I'm almost positive that happened. I just can't remember when. I, I, I know the Batcave ones uh, showed West Africa around, I don't know, like Nigeria or something, but yeah. I, I want to say there was another place where it was shown in Southeast Africa. Whoopsie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about those animation flubs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else, or can we get to our scores? Uh, yeah, let's do the scores. Okay, let's see. What was first up today? Paradise Lost. I'll give that a six. Yeah, like I said earlier, you're going to see how much I like that second part based on my score here. i got to give this a seven. I will admit, though, whenever we do our Justice League uh, revisit way down the line, this may be one I come back to. I may bump it down to a six. But for right now, in the moment, yeah, seven. Oh, boys, War World. One. <laughs> um, it's just not deserving of anything more. I, can't, I mean, it's got the Green Lantern, Hot Girl thing. That's nice. Uh, they showed that alien robot being executed. That was kind of cool, I guess. But yeah. overall, wow. What yeah. a shit-tastic episode. Yeah, um, the score I initially wrote down, I'm embarrassed to say, was a four. <laughs> Don't feel bad. Remember, I graded that really horrible episode of Static Shock a four. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I was doing when I was when I was watching that episode. Jesus. Wow. Okay. No, no I agree with you. I've totally marked it down to a one. And uh, The Brave and the Bold. What you giving this? Uh, this is, I was struggling a little bit with this one, but I'm going to give it a four. Yeah. In my notes, I have a five. And I can understand you giving it a five. So, I mean, it, like you said, it's pretty much the definition of average, but I'm going with a little below average. You know, no, I, I'm going to give it a four as well because I'm thinking to myself, I, I did say a few positive things about it, such as the flash outsmarting Grodd, but besides that, what other good things did I say about it? It was mostly a lot of nitpicky stuff. So, no, I, I'm going to give it a four too. I'll rend you limb from limb. Got to catch me first. <laughs> Stand still and fight me, you simpleton! We could do that. Tell you what, you ditch the mind control helmet, and I'll ditch the headband. Flash, don't! Come on, Gorilla My Dreams, take off the helmet! <laughs> you're a bigger fool than I thought. Oh, yeah? Well, you're... naked! The world will miss your sparkling intellect. Goodbye, Flash. 
What have you done to him? Simple. When I pushed the helmet down over his eyes, I also crossed some wires. How could you? You've destroyed the greatest mind on Earth. You'll be okay, now that you're free from his mind control. What are you talking about? He never used that on me. I loved him. Internet romances, huh? Go figure. Feedback in the form of emails can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. And remember, our new voicemail number is 731-WFP-WFP-0. 731-937-9370. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we're going to discuss four Justice League stories. Those being Fury, Legends, A Night of Shadows, and Metamorphosis. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast.